All right, I get to invite up Brent McCrory. He is teaching in Garen's absence today, and so we're so excited to have Brent back. And uh, boots are not something that Garen normally wears. That's a good new look. So I'm glad you're bringing something new to the well, stage. Yeah, thank you. Thank so you. it'll be good. So thank you, Brent, for being with us. All right. Uh, I am glad to be back, actually. Uh, my family and I, we've been gone for like a month um, with the Mexico missions trip and um, some different ministry things that we did prior to that, so it's good to be back back here with you all. Um, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, so if you want to open there, middle of your Bibles, um, or... Uh, yeah, not the middle of your phone, but you know, type it in in your phone if that's what you use, a device. Uh, we will be there in just a bit. And as you're turning there, I want to share a little bit. These situations are real, although I substituted some names. And we'll call one Lady Naomi, um, because she is a pleasant woman. Uh, very pleasant, if you happen to know her. And it's not that she hasn't had any bitter moments in her life, because she certainly has. We all have. Uh, and she had this one circumstance. Now, it was like, you know, kind of a core circumstance, and it affected a lot of things for years, decades, actually. It was a relationship with her mother that was difficult and strenuous, and, and as now she is uh, an adult, and her mother is more elderly, just that continued tension. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have difficulty in your life, it's a struggle. We all have difficulties, but it's something so uh, close as a parent-child relationship can be just really, really rough to go through. And uh, it just seemed like nothing was happening, but yet within the last couple months, all of a sudden there's been such a tremendous shift and restoration and healing and growth in that relationship, and it just seems like it's out of the blue, out of, out of nowhere, but I think it points to the reality that we serve a God who's always at work. Another real-life person, although I'll switch the name and we'll call him Asher because he is extremely happy, uh, Asher is. He's young. Um, kind of so the other end of the, of the spectrum of this other individual, uh, not entirely polar opposites, but younger end. And uh, he, he's a very happy individual. Actually, he's one of those that gave his life to Jesus over the last uh, week or so at the summer missions experience. But it's not as though he's had no difficulty in his own young life. Um, just some things within his family, and, and more poignantly, his dad suffered a stroke at the beginning of this year. And uh, the stroke was so severe, and at one point in time, uh, the doctors advised the family just to remove all the life support things because there was nothing that could happen, and he would be uh, dead soon, just kind of let comfort care take its course. But his dad is still alive. Now there's a, a ways to go for his recovery, um, but yet he's, he's still alive. And, and this, this, young, um, this young guy, Asher, he just has this, this happiness about him. Not that he doesn't have any struggles, but he even shared his testimony over on the Mexico side uh, in one of the groups that I was with. And it's just an amazing thing to see God at work in his life. And we'll call this last one Yahweh is salvation because that's what the name Jesus means. The Lord is salvation, or as Garen would say it, God to the rescue. And you see, when he walked physically among us on this earth, he was like you and I. He had struggles, but he, he continued on, and he persisted, and he persisted with time with the Father, and at times where there was opposition against him and what he was doing, he said, well, I have to be at work because I do what my Father is doing, and my Father is at work to this day in John chapter 5. 
Now, he's no longer physically among us. He now rules and reigns above every rule, power, dominion, and authority. He's reigning and seated above all of those things. And Paul says in Colossians that he, he holds all things together. <laughs> that's, a, that's an astounding statement when you stop to think about it. And these examples point to the reality that despite circumstances, despite what we're going through, God is at work. And so I ask you this morning, what about you? What about your situation that you're facing right now? Now, maybe you're on the tail end of a situation that was rough and now it's good. Uh, There will likely be another rough one coming. Or maybe you're in the midst of a situation you don't see how there's any restoration or reconciliation in, in sight with that. What about you and what's going on in your life? It may seem hopeless. Maybe no one knows about your situation. Maybe it hasn't left your lips and it's simply an internal thing right now. Wherever you are on that spectrum, you have a situation or one is coming your way. It's a reality of living life in a fallen world. And for all of these reasons and more, and the reality of how the Father is always at work, there is an immense value, and we must take care concerning the songs that we sing, because songs are powerful. There is so much power in songs. I was going to have just a little uh, thing worked up here of running some song lyrics together, but I did not get to that. However, we are going to try this, because there's something about songs that resonate deeply with us. They strike a chord, both literally and figuratively as well. In the great uh, words of the theologian Kenny Chesney, he says, we all have a song that somehow stamped our lives, takes us to another place and time. I pulled that whole lyric sheet out last night, and I'll be honest with you, when I was looking through that and in situations, some of which match up in my life, I mean, I was having this moment of like so much conflicting things happening within me, but that's the power of songs. That's why I so appreciated what Melissa shared and how we sing when we gather, because this is something that God's people have been doing for millennia because of the power of songs. It's something that includes all of us, our body, our mind, our heart, everything. There is such value in the songs that we sing. I want to play this one for you, and it may or may not be familiar to you. Familiar? For those who are in the proper generation of music, right? We know that one. If you are not familiar with that, that is The Dance by Garth Brooks. And I, that one just popped to my mind because I remember vividly, I was a teenager, somewhere teenage range, um, I think, anyway, but it was at the Jackson County Fair in Holton, Kansas, and it was a hot August day. Our fair was kind of like the middle of August, right before school started, or practice school started in September. I don't know if I'm that old or not. Anyway, we're in there having pizza, probably being obnoxious, and this song comes over the speakers. And this whole room of people pause and sing along with that song. That's like the grip that it had on people, at least in that little pocket of the world. Now, that may not be like your song of choice. I don't even know if it's mine. I just vividly remember that. Your song may be more along the lines of driving to the levee, but you find out that the river is dry. Could be that one. Or you want to hold someone's hand. 
Or it could be something about you stay up too late and there's nothing in your brain or however that one goes and sing. Is that right? Taylor Swift song? I don't know. Uh, but the, there are so many songs, and what happens when we hear those, it just, there's something arrests within us. Even, um, yeah, what's the, the Google one? Um, yeah, hey Google. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Come on, right? Boy bands back in style, Backstreet Boys, everybody. Yeah. Oh, man, you guys need to see some YouTube ads. See, we don't have TV, and I just, I just get YouTube ads, so I don't even know how many times I have seen that one. But there, there is something about songs that arrest us, that take us literally back to the time, point in time where we had it. Maybe you have songs for specific eras of your life. I don't know exactly how that works, but a reality is that songs tap deeply into us because they involve every single part of us. And so back to the beginning when I was talking about these situations in which the Lord has brought about some work in redemption, you may be in the midst of a situation where there has not been any restoration or redemption, or you don't really know how that is possible given the current circumstances. And I do want to honor that because it is very difficult. And a reason why we struggle with that, as Garen talks about here, is because we have this this sense of oughtness that it ought not to be that way. Right In the very beginning, God set things up good, and we know that he is in the process of restoring all things, but we are stuck in the middle of these things, and so we have difficulties and frustrations that come in our lives. Maybe you're facing them right now, and so you have this sense of that it ought not to be this way, and that is a very difficult situation. And sometimes we can be crying out, why haven't you fixed this yet? Are you aware of what's taking place in my life? Now, let's be honest. How many of you have had a moment during a worship service, during a song, or or maybe during the week if you listen to uh, Christian music here or there, or maybe that's all you listen to, but the song comes on, and the the lyrics that are being sung, either by you or you're hearing sung, don't match up with your present reality. And you just like click, and you click it off. Or you can't really click it off here because you're not in control of the soundboard. And so you may sing along because you don't want to be seen not singing, but yet all the emotions just start to power down because it is not matching up with where you currently are in your circumstance. Anybody ever have that happen to them? I'm seeing some heads nod. I'm seeing some hands as well. You see, this is a reality that we face. Let me tell you a little secret here. If you are not honest about your situation. Your situation will not be honest with you. If you are not honest with your situation, your situation will not be honest with you. How many of you have ever been lied to by your situation? You're in the midst of some difficulty and you start to wonder, I'm the only one who has ever experienced this, ever. No one else is going through what I'm going through. That's your situation lying to you. Have you ever thought, God honestly really doesn't love me? I've always struggled with that, and I try to believe it, but yet, you know, this current situation that I'm in, it is very clear that that God may love that person, but God doesn't really love me. That's your situation lying to you. I know God's grace is is good and great, but I think I've really honestly crossed the line this time, and I don't really know if there's any redemption that can take place 
in this. That is your situation lying to you. I am all alone. This is never going to change. This pain is going to last forever. Nothing is going to take place in this. This is a hopeless situation, and on and on they go. I want to be honest and say the reality that there are unique spins on situations, and we can experience them uniquely because we're an individual person. But if you lay out the suffering of humanity, there is nothing so unique that it has never happened to anyone else save you. That's what the reality is. And I know what it's like to even utter the words of something, and it's like, will this ever last? This seems like it's going to go on forever. And I have to remind myself that there's very few things that are actually forever. And in fact, there's only three things, and he's actually three in one. That's the only thing that's forever. From eternity past into eternity future, everything else is created. So no situation, no circumstance is forever. There is only one that is forever. If you're not honest with your situation, your situation will not be honest with you. It will flat out lie to you. So let's roll back to the question I asked a little bit ago. How many of us have come on a Sunday morning or listened to a song during the middle of the week or had somebody share something with us um, that was a, a truth that they hope would help us, and then we just shut it down because it's like, no, that is not matching up with my reality. We need to allow ourselves to be honest with those situations. So when we face those situations, what do we do? What do we do when we face those situations? And as I've said, there is an immense amount of value in the songs that we sing, because songs are powerful. And now some are probably thinking, wait a second, Brent, you're not making any sense, because you're talking about songs are powerful, and then all of a sudden we're, we're having this song where it doesn't match up with our reality, so why do we need to sing a song if it's not matching up with our reality? You see, we need to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth when it comes to our situation. And if we do that, we may have a song in the making. So turn with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. You see, what we have here in verses 1 through 2 of this psalm, this song, is the author, David, being honest with his situation. And let's be honest, it sounds pretty bad, Right? I'm not going to work my way through this entire psalm, and actually, this wasn't exactly where the, the, ser the sermon was going to be. It was like, I think when I talked with Garen, it was like, yeah, probably like Psalm 135 to 138, something like that. I was going to do a group together, and I was working toward that, and then last night, things just kind of got changed. And I want to make this extremely practical for us all this morning, and so I'm going to let you know that I'm going to lay out some things in this psalm, and my encouragement is to, for you to write your own. 
is what my encouragement is. Because this is a lament psalm, and, uh, and Garen has been talking about laments and the importance of those at some point in this uh, series as I've caught the ones where we've been gone and listening to them. But here, here's the, uh, right out of the gate, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want to point out here, which I, I do believe is true, we're, we're um, and many times when people work their way through this text, they'll talk about, you know, the reiteration of a name, and I'm sure no one who has kids has ever had to do this before, but if you, like, you repeat a name, that usually means what? They're not paying attention to you, right? It's like, you know, not that I would ever do this, but Ellie, 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 what do you, you know, it's because they're not, they're not focused in on where I am. And so there's biblical examples of this, like uh, the angel of the Lord to Moses, um, uh, from the burning bush, Moses, Moses, or Abraham with Isaac uh, and stopping the sacrifice, Abraham, Abraham, or the Lord talking to Samuel when he was a young, uh, young boy in the tabernacle, Samuel, Samuel. So there are these examples of the person not paying attention. And so that is basically what is taking place here. What David is saying is like, God, are you even paying attention to what I'm going through? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But notice what shifts next, verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. And this is where I say we need to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about our situation, or else our situation is going to lie to us. There's honesty with the situation, but then verses 3 through 5 have honesty with God's faithfulness. And then it shifts. Verses 6 through 8, we have, once again, we have the honesty with the situation. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And so we're back with honesty with the situation that David is going through. But then notice what happens in verses 9 through 11. We have honesty with God's faithfulness once again. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made, me trust, uh, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. And so we see this back and forth that's taking place in this psalm. And this is what I'm encouraging you. Use this as a template to write your own song with the difficulties that you're facing. Because if you're not honest with your situation and your circumstances, your situation and your circumstances is going to lie to you. I know this full well from experience, painful experience, actually. And so verses 12 through 18, we have honesty with the situation once again as he goes through the difficulty. I'm not going to read it. You can maybe make some notes of this and come back to it. But I'm telling you, this, this is a template that we can simply take. And, and, and please understand, don't, don't just take my word for it that this is a good thing for you to do. Trust the people who have preserved God's word for us throughout centuries, and take these models as this being a good thing for you to do. And take it from, the, from Jesus as well, the one who helped to author these things, that this is a good thing for us to do. We need to be honest with our situation. And it's not just the painful situation that we are currently facing, but it's also the situation of the God that we serve. Now, sometimes I like things to just be really obvious for me when I read in the biblical text. And so I'm, I'm sure that you've seen this, but I do want to point this out because I think this is fascinating. 
In verses 3 through 5 here, where he talks about honesty about God's faithfulness, who is the point of reference, or what is the faithfulness directed to in there? The answer's in the text. Is it faithfulness to David? No. It's faithfulness to his ancestors. And so I can't help but wonder in my mind that I, that I try to baptize and put to death and resurrect new in Christ. I try to do that regularly. I can't help but wonder in my mind, are, are things so rough for David that he can't even think of God's faithfulness in his own life? He has to reach into somebody else's faithfulness in the moment. Have any of you ever been there? If you've been there, let me reassure you that you're quite biblical at that point. Because that's what we see happening here, and we'll see it later when we look at some other psalms as well. And then another thing that is astounding, when David talks about God's faithfulness in his life, where is that time in David's life? Is it current? No. It's when he's nursing at his mother's breast. It's sort of like talking years in the past. So it's like David has this gut-wrenching situation that he lays before the gods, like, are you even paying attention to me? But I know that you're faithful because you've been faithful to these people in the past. But he goes back to his present situation. He's like, this is just tearing me up, and I can't even deal with this anymore. But I know you've been faithful to me, but it's been a long time ago. And then he comes back to the situation once again. It's this continuous back and forth as David is working these things out in his soul. And as we continue on with the honesty with the situation, then verses 19 through 21, we have the honesty with God's faithfulness once again. And then you would expect it to shift back to the situation, but it doesn't. Because from that point on, it's a mixture of honesty with the confidence of what God is doing and what he will do. Even all of the earth knowing about this God. David's honest with what he's facing, and he works things through, and there is so much beauty in this psalm. And I do want to point something out in here, which is really astounding, because in verse, verse 1, remember how it starts out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Once again, where are you at? You're not even paying attention. I'm outside of your love or something, whatever he's thinking. But notice in verse 24 of Psalm 22. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard. And so we see David is very honest with his situation, but undergirding that is the truth that God is always near. Always near. This is a psalm that's quoted in the New Testament. I think it has ramifications for things there. And I think one of the things we see is that sin is not the God repellent. Because that's one of the ways in which our situation can lie to us. Is that we think, I'm caught in this sin and therefore there's this barrier between me and God. But, but sin is not the God repellent. It never has been and it never will be. Sin can be the Holy Spirit hindrance, for sure. But what we see continuously in Scripture is God moving toward people even in their rebellion. Genesis chapter 3, the man and the woman, they eat from the fruit. And what does the Lord do? He moves toward them. He's the first initiator, always and at all times. Now I want you to notice something here. What comes after Psalm 22? What was that? Psalm 23. 
right? I mean, we just went from like theological stuff to high-level math class. You guys passed, I'm glad, right? So we can move on and graduate. But Psalm 23, how well known is that psalm? This is the one that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Talks about the valley of the shadow of death, ends with the Lord pursuing him in his goodness. How do you write a song that is so well known? You write a song that's so well known by writing a Psalm 22 and being honest about your situation and your circumstances. That's how you pen a Psalm 23, by being honest with the day in and day out things that we all go through. We do that by being honest with our situation. Otherwise, our situation is going to lie to us. I want us to turn to Psalm 136 now. Psalm 136, and um, one of the invitations I'm giving you here this morning, I I mentioned, you know, kind of writing your own psalm, and I certainly encourage you to do that. You're not going to be able to do that if you're not honest with your situation, Um, but uh, but with this also is just the the aspect of, um, you know, writing and writing things out, because some of us, we do that. I don't know, I include me in that now because I didn't used to, but I used to usually just be in my head and be caught up with things in my head. And some people are more caught up with like tension in their body and they just have to continually do something and always doing something because if they're not doing something, then they're, they're afraid of what's going to happen emotionally or with their mind. And so there's all sorts of ways in which we can get out of balance, but, but uh, I am encouraging you to, to write things and even write your own psalm and you can use that... Uh, as an example of going back and forth between your situation and the reality of God's faithfulness and his presence. But I'd want to share a few things just on the concept of journaling. And I'm using a very, uh, you know, very high ivory tower theological resource here from a local Emporia Realty Group, um, uh, just on some benefits about journaling. And it talks here about repeated journaling increases emotional intelligence, helping you to process your thoughts and feelings in a healthier way. It improves memory. Writing about your emotions and thoughts can free up space in your memory and improve its function at the same time. It can keep you more healthy because patients who are living with chronic health conditions saw physical improvements after writing consistently about their stressful or negative experiences. Um, People with test anxiety, students, for example, they find that those who journal about their test anxiety before the exam outperform those who only wrote about the test contents. People who spent 15 minutes twice a week journaling about a stressful event later reported feeling less anxious and depressed, especially if they were struggling, uh, especially if they were struggling before. And, and there, there is just more and more um, research and things coming out. I mean, I used to share the benefits about journaling and things because experientially it had been so helpful for me, but there's more and more coming about, out about its benefit. And the more that we learn about our brain and how it works, and I'm certainly like not qualified to speak about that, but I read some about it, and it's just fascinating how things change and shift. We involve more with our body and how we write some things out. It just, the way I say it simply, it just frees up space in our mind. Instead of it running around here on a little, uh, what is that, hamster wheel, 
Instead of doing that, it gets to flow out somewhere else. And so honestly, an encouragement would be, if you've ever found yourself coming to a Sunday morning and you're not really looking forward to it, you're getting here and you're not engaged with things in the songs, give yourself a gift. And maybe once a month or maybe even do it weekly, spend some time, give yourself about 5, 10, 15 minutes and just journal out things that are on your mind and that are weighing you down. It'll be helpful. It'll free up space for you to be able to encounter the Lord and Him to meet with you. Now, is it going to fix everything? No. But in the process of doing those things, I have had some answers come to me uh, in that time or after, after the fact. And as we're talking about songs and how they are so powerful in their significance, I, I do want to point this out too, is that if we're honest with ourselves, um, from a world standpoint, there is some absurdity to the things that we sing. Is there not? And this is where I'm talking about we need to be honest with our situation or else our situation will lie with us, lie to us. Let's just take the book of Psalms, for example. It is generally, I think, pretty well accepted within you know, people who devote their lives to like the uh, archaeology and the academic research and the study of the biblical text that the, the, the book of Psalms or the Psalter was put in its final form kind of during the exile period. Uh, and that means that the people of Israel were forcibly removed from their homeland and shipped off elsewhere. So, so think about that. In that context, as Garen said, I think with the psalm in, uh, that I listened to this week is Psalm on 137, he says oftentimes we need to read with uh, first century eyes and ask 21st century questions, but he said that week we need to read this with 5th BC century eyes. Right? So we need to understand that when we come to the book of Psalms is that there are these psalms that are extolling the greatness of not just a God, but Yahweh, the Lord, the God that the Israelites are claiming is above every other God, and that their God reigns supreme when they're in the midst of exile. How much sense does that make? Like, none. But right out of the gates, Psalm chapter 1 talks about the blessedness, and then Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 2 is all about the Lord's anointed. And how all the nations will be brought into subjection to him while they are off in exile in a foreign land. That's just ludicrous. But that's also the power of the songs that we sing. That's also being honest with our situation as well. You see, we need to hold these things in tension because God has chosen to work through us and we are time-bound people. And since we are time-bound people, our perspective is very small, like the things happening to us. And so we need a larger perspective that he can gift to us. We need to be honest with our situation or else our situation won't be honest with us. Now, I do want to just go quickly through Psalm 135, and I'll probably just read the first part but not the rest. But I do want to also... Uh, put up the, the structure here for you to see. And you can make little notes in your, in your text. Uh, but it starts out, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. And so what we see here, you know, uh, we just have these praises being sung to Yahweh or to the Lord at the beginning of this and inviting this and really declaring it. Then in verses 5 through 7, it talks about how the Lord is above all other gods, if you read through that aspect there. Then in verses 8 through 12, we have 
the mention of the Exodus as well as the promised land worked in here. And then verses uh, 13 through 14, it talks about the uniqueness of the Lord. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Once again, very simply, if the Lord will vindicate his people, what does that mean about the present circumstance of the author? It's not going so well, right? And so we see once again the honesty with the situation undergirded with the truth of who the God is that they serve. Verses 15 through 18 talks about the other gods are nothing. I put nothing in small quotes because that's uh, more than we have time to talk about this morning. And then verses 19 to 21, a call to bless the Lord as well. But you see how this is arranged uh, chiastically with the center point there being the exodus and the promised land and the uniqueness of the Lord. It's just another way in which they would literarily do things. Now, we are not uh, 5th century B.C. Israelites. We're not even... Uh, first century 80 Israelites. We are people who follow Jesus, right? And so what do you think we could replace? Not that we can't utilize this. I think we should. But what for us are some things that we can, if we're using this even for a pattern for our own song, what would go in verses 8 through 12 and verses 13 through 14? Would we put the Exodus in there or would we perhaps put something else? What would we put? I think that's where we would very uh, directly put things about Jesus in there. It's just a way of kind of modernizing it uh, for us, if you will. Now, quickly, once again, uh, I want to be sensitive to time. This is some of the stuff we would have spent more time on until uh, last night happened. But uh, Psalm 136, uh, verses 1 through 3, talks about him being the unique ruler. And this is a psalm that uh, as you go through it, it probably, if you're familiar with the Psalms, would stand out to you because this is the one with the repeated refrain of, for his steadfast love endures forever. They'll say a phrase of what he's done, for his steadfast love endures forever, continually through this. Verses 4 through 9 talk about him as creator, uh, the exodus and the wilderness wanderings in verses 10 through 16. The promised land has a section. It's kind of like Psalm 135 and 136 are very similar. Psalm 136 just goes into more detail about things, honestly. And we see the parallel things there with his uniqueness and the creator and provider aspect through there. But once again, and a reason why I go this way and the reason why I think I got steered back to Psalm 22 last week is because this is being honest with their situation. Otherwise, their situation will not be honest with them. Because they're talking about the whole uh, history of their people here with the exodus in the wilderness and God's faithfulness during all of that. You see, worship of God is the most important thing we can ever do, and true worship always acknowledges challenges. It always acknowledges challenges. We see that throughout the book of Psalms. We see that as well. I would say probably the book of Revelation has the most songs of the New Testament, and it's pretty cool there because what they did is they put Jesus at the center point of those songs. Revelation chapter 4 is about the one who is seated on the throne, and then chapter 5 is about the lamb who is there. And you see, the heavenly host is, is praising and telling these truths, but they're not ignorant of what's taking place, uh, quote-unquote, beneath them. They know God's people are going through difficulty. They know the struggle that they're going through and how that's going to intensify. 
But God's people need the truth of what they are singing because we need to be honest with our situation. Otherwise, our current situation will lie to us and we will be led astray. One more high-level math question. What's right before Psalm 135? 134. And see, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 is what's called the Songs of Ascent. And so this was their playlist that they would get ready before they hopped on their camel or started walking on foot when they were going to Jerusalem every year. And there's a mixture of things in those Songs of Ascent from 120 to 134. There's a mixture of things that happen, but as they're singing these songs, as they're making their way to Jerusalem at Passover time, I think they would continuously be thinking, and maybe this is the year that God does it again. Oh, it didn't happen. So the next time they go, either next year or maybe 10 years later because of the expense of traveling, they're thinking, maybe this is the year that he does it again. And what do we know historically and theologically he did at the Passover time? That's when Jesus died and was resurrected. You see, probably five years ago, I would not have preached this sermon because in ways, it just seems a little bit simplistic to me. But sometimes the most beautiful and most helpful things are the most simple. And we have got to remember Jesus and what he has done and what he will do for every situation that we are ever in or we will ever face. Because that is reality. Our moment in time and the heart-wrenching situations that we're in, and I'm, please hear me, I am not diminishing any of those things. But we must keep in mind the reality of God and his faithfulness and what he's done for us in the person of Jesus, because that is the fuller picture of reality. And without that, we are, um, we're just kind of dead in the water, I guess would be a way of saying that. We have got to remember the fuller picture of what's taking place. This is the stuff of real life. And you see, the reality is, Jesus was honest with our situation. So we can be honest with all of it too. The Bible talks about how he is tempted in every single way that we have been. He's experienced things to a fuller extent than we had because he never yielded uh, to the things that we can yield to. So as I wrap up, I'm going to pray. And I am going to, I encourage you again, write your own song. It doesn't have to be published or anything like that. Maybe it will be someday, who knows. I'm just encouraging you to be honest with your situation. You may want to scrap it and burn it when you're done. I have plenty of those. I'm like, this does not need to see the light of day. I probably have some in some journals that I maybe before I pass need to like rip out of there so that my kids aren't burdened with some of the things that I put in there. But I'm telling you, experientially, this is helpful. But again, don't just take my word. Take the reality that these have been preserved for us. He knows the power of songs. And I think this is a gift that he is giving to us. Let's be honest with our situations and write our own songs and write them well. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We praise you. You are the God above all gods. You are creator of heaven and earth. Jesus, we thank you. You were sent from the Father and you were obedient. You know what it is we experience. And you were 
faithful and you were obedient to the Father's will. And we praise you, Jesus, because you didn't leave us alone. You sent us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. What an amazing gift that is. I, I pray that we would learn to continuously cooperate more with your work that you're doing in us. I don't have any doubt that there are situations here this morning that are far beyond my personal experience. God, would you show your presence and your faithfulness to the people in those situations in ways that they can comprehend are from you. Jesus, we thank you that we don't only have just the Holy Spirit, but we have the church. We have your people as well, a gift of, of people who can come alongside, who um, can be there for us in times of struggle. And help us to learn as your people that, that sometimes simply the ministry of presence and, and being with somebody and not having all the answers, but just simply being with somebody and not ignoring what they're going through in the pain can be such a tremendous gift. Help us to be honest with our situations. Help us to tell our situations the truth. Thank you for the countless ways you've reminded us of your goodness and faithfulness. Help us to take stock of those regularly. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. It's been a pleasure to be with you all this morning, and 12th, you are sent.